everybody. Scott Stevens here with another perspective, a little show I do twice a week where we talk about topics relevant uh, to the day, to uh, the month, the year, and hopefully uh, for time frames that are even a little bit longer than that. Uh, Weather has been my thing. Climate has been my thing. The sciences, but leadership. What is happening in the world impacts us in so many ways that it, it, it's difficult to articulate what can happen in London or Paris or uh, Damascus or, or Cairo or Washington or Tokyo or, 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 or Beijing. All of these locations are a center of power. And when we step back and we realize that they're all working together for this same outcome. Good evening or good morning, Tracy. Then you have to look at the power structure that is lording over this planet, over humanity, through a different way. And once we we can open our eyes and, and smell the coffee, we can approach our freedoms and our liberties and the future and the laws they're passing and, and why they may be testing us for weak spots here or, or so forth and so on. Uh, But once we recognize that leadership is global and it is coordinated, then we can approach what's coming and what's already happened uh, with a different set of eyes. Good to see you, Casey, from Southern California. I hope your your atmosphere is doing all right out there, that you're going to, well, the masks are having a dual purpose now there, aren't they? So I want to call this one, and we'll pop over here, go full screen to make sure my picture doesn't stay too uh, too cloudy, because sometimes if I go full screen, then it resets uh, the graininess of, of uh, the camera shot. So let's just call it leadership that inspires, although there's many ways to look at this. Um, leadership that doesn't just get us through a situation leadership that can actually foresee and anticipate troubles that would affect those that they are leading, that they have a charge for, that have been elected. That's leadership, not a debate over simple policy. That is that is like junior high leadership. I'll, I'll, I'll get you uh, more fries for lunch. You know, no, no, no. We need to talk about bigger things, more important things, things that last generations. Things and topics that revolutions have been fought over. That's those are the kind of to- topics and, and those are the kind of leaders I would like to see come to the forefront today. We can't even get the two in the United States to debate. We're too afraid of whether we're masked or unmasked or whether we're competent enough to stand up to a debate. It's interesting that Joe Rogan stepped up and said, hey, I'll host a four-hour debate, no camera or cameras, but no audience. And that would excite me. Who wouldn't want to sit down for four hours with Joe, who's, who's largely impartial, certainly has a grasp of the situation at hand, and has a far, far broader worldview than let's just say a CNN or NBC or or CBS or ABC um, host does. They are pretty faces trained to ask questions. And knowing the media, that's my my basis. That's that's what it is. So in the times we're coming up and into, this is the issue. The leaders we are choosing for the times ahead. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in diverse places, famines, and trouble. These are the beginnings of sorrows. And there's a contingent of people, whether they're Muslim or Christian or these other languages, would look at 2020 and say, hmm, there might be some truth in that. There might be some truth in what comes ahead. 
And so we'll, we'll set the stage with one more slide. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Tell me this isn't true. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brooder, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with such people, Second Timothy. And uh, for the last 30 years, I've not been a Bible reader. That has not been my forte. You know, growing up with it, you either love it or you're like, mm, back off a little bit. And I was kind of of that, of that ilk. I'll just keep it at an arm's length. That is absolutely close enough. But it does appear that changes are afoot. And as we talked about last Wednesday, there's an aspect of prophecy that is undoubtedly in play. As a large event, and end times would certainly fall into that category, would be approaching, then it only makes sense that people, through their subconscious apparatuses and those that are tuned in and those that can listen, those that can hear, those that have eyes and ears to hear, would be clued in and would be given glimpses of the larger picture. And then those would then share it. And there have been no shortages of those people. And indeed, through time, that is the case. But today, we have social media. So President Kennedy, probably the last true president uh, we had, he said, a revolution is coming, a revolution which will be peaceful if we are wise enough, compassionate if we care enough, successful if we are fortunate enough, but a revolution which is coming whether we will it or not. We can affect its character. We cannot alter its inevitability. Part of me was excited and would have been supremely excited to have seen a revolution 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when you wake up and you recognize the injustices that run the system, how the system is gamed, the agencies that are gaming the system and so forth, you, you're anxious for a revolution. So I, a part of me can absolutely sympathize with this. And if the president 60 plus years ago, 60 years ago, thought it was inevitable, then, un, you know, then that means that game is that long lasting. It has been in play that long. So let's step back, look at the larger picture. These are the characters that run the game. This is the G20 Osaka Summit just last year as it, as, as it shows above their heads. And you can see all the characters, uh, Erdogan of Turkey, there's Trump, there's MBS from Saudi Arabia, uh, the gal that just, Theresa May from, from the UK, from, from India, from Japan, Abe, uh, Putin, Chermesi, uh, and then Merkel. You know, they're, they're all there. And then now she's the head of the uh, IMF. Uh, she was a, oh, excuse me, EC, uh, European Central Bank. She was with the IMF. But, uh, you know, the, the crowd is there and there are leaders. There are leaders. And then the bankers, of course, are a part of that group. So what's curious is how long these leaders that are supposed to inspire us and guide us through these troubles have actually known one another. Merkel, May, and then from Hungary, the childhood photo of the leaders of Germany, Great Britain, and Lithuania need to be explained, especially since two of them were allegedly living behind the Iron Curtain. If that's the case, that all of these leaders, many of them, and then Bill Gates and, and Barack Obama, even as 
you know, teenagers hanging out together, friends and friendly. It's this club, this grooming, and I use the word intentionally, of these children to see what potentials they may bring to serve the group, the cabal, the powers that be. So we have this longstanding, and you could go through the net, and, and I, we could spend a whole show. We could spend 30, 40 minutes just looking through the association of the pictures, you know, how long uh, Mr. and Mrs. Obama knew each other. So man's fate in battle is worked out before war begins. I think this is really important. If a revolution is coming and they know it, and we don't know it, but maybe we want it, if man's fate in battle is worked out before the war begins, that means you don't start a fight unless you know you're going to win the fight. Is that the trouble that's coming? Is that the issue that is looming ahead? Is this what Corona has has teased us up to, to this grander revolution? Is that why Black Lives Matter and Antifa are arm in arm, you know, beginning to to go through these streets and beginning to burn these places down without any or very minor resistance. It's kind of ridiculous. Hey, Risa. So th- this man is brilliant, and I'd love to have him on the show. John Whitehead via the Rutherford Institute. And uh, this, uh, this was uh, republished in Zero Hedge probably a month and a half ago. But no one sees, sees his power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means, it is the end. And of course, George Orwell. And you could map the nearly 20-year journey from the 9-11 attacks to the COVID-19 pandemic by the freedoms we have lost along the way. The road we've been traveling has been littered with the wreckage of our once vaunted liberties, especially those enshrined in the Fourth Amendment. The assaults on our freedoms that began with post-9-11 passage of the Patriot Act laid the groundwork for the eradication of every vital constitutional safeguard against government overreach, corruption, and abuse. COVID-19, with its lockdowns, mask mandates, surveillance, snitch lines for Americans to report fellow citizens for engaging in risky behavior, veiled threats of forced vaccinations, has merely provided the architects of the American police state with an opportunity to flex their muscles. These become mile markers to tyranny. And it's interesting that what the protests that are out there are not out there for our loss of freedoms. No, 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 no. It's just a racial issue, not for the loss of freedoms that have affected each and every one of us, but for racial issues. So we're just seeing the warring on the inner cities and, and against the police for a very, very small issue. It's big if you're in it, but nonetheless, as far as changing civilization, it is small. So the First Amendment is supposed to protect the freedom to speak your mind. They didn't even teach us this in civics. We had social studies. We didn't have civics. And this was 30 plus years ago. And it, it's interesting how the protections afforded in the liberty and the, the 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 Bill of Rights are not taught. So you don't know when they go missing because you didn't know you had them in the first place. So the First Amendment protects the freedom of the media as well as the right to worship and pray without interference. In other words, Americans should not be silenced by the government. To the founders, America was a free speech zone. Despite the protections found in the First Amendment, the freedoms described therein are under constant assault. That's really the big one. The Second Amendment was intended to guarantee the right of people to keep and bear arms. And this was taken away from people of color until the Civil War and even for a time thereafter. Had they been armed 
it might have been a different scenario down there. The Second Amendment guaranteed the right for people to keep and bear arms. Essentially, this amendment was given to the citizenry as a mean to resist a tyrannical government. Yet while gun ownership has been recognized by the Supreme Court as a citizen right, Americans remain powerless to defend, to defend themselves against SWAT raid teams and other government agents armed to the teeth with military weapons better suited to the battlefield. And so as such, this amendment has been rendered almost null and void. I mean, granted, it's being eaten around at the edges. But then you would want to be armed against the, the SWAT teams largely for the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. The third reinforces the principle of civilian elective officials are superior to the military by prohibiting the military from entering a citizen's home without consent of the owner. The Fourth Amendment, prohibiting government agents from conducting surveillance on you or touching you or invading you unless they have some evidence that you've been up to something criminal. In other words, the Fourth Amendment ensures privacy and bodily integrity. This has been, again, slaughtered as a rough word, but it's not inappropriate if it's happened to you where you have struggles inside the justice system, inside the FBI planting of evidence, even on body cameras, you know, you know, cops are planting these drugs and and then, you know, nabbing people and saying, hey, you've got this, that and that. And then they're paraded on into into uh, into court and then on to, into jail. So uh, it's supposed to stop strip searches, even, even cavity searches of citizens, surveillance, corporate and otherwise and intrusions justified in the name of fighting terrorism. The Fifth and Sixth, uh, Fifth and Sixth Amendment enunciates Scott. These amendments supposedly ensure that you are innocent until proven guilty. And this is where the press, we had Chuck Todd on uh, Meet the Press, I believe it was just this past weekend, and, and saying that the press had lost their ability to smear. Smear. That was a right that they believed they had against people. So these amendments supposedly ensure that you are innocent until proven guilty. The government authorities cannot deprive you of life, liberty, or your property without the right to an attorney or a fair trial. The Seventh Amendment guarantees citizens the right to a jury trial, yet when the populace has no idea what's in the Constitution, civic education has disappeared, and that inevitably translates to an ignorant jury incapable of distinguishing justice from the law from their own preconceived notions and fears. And because this is a subtle thing, this is a subtle power that um, – and, and I, I suppose we'll get into that in a, little, in a, in a moment – people – projecting their opinions and feelings one way or another onto maybe a jury trial. And and yeah, then you lose your Seventh Amendment. The Eighth Amendment is similar to the Sixth in that that is supposed to protect the rights of the accused and forbid the use of cruel and unusual punishment. That is unless we, you know, do an extraordinary rendition. However, the Supreme Court's determination that of what constitutes cruel and unusual should be dependent on the evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society. And this has been my opinion we've talked about before. Maturing societies should need fewer laws because people are simply better at behaving themselves. We respect and give each other the space to live their lives. And then the Ninth Amendment provides that other rights not enumerated in the Constitution are nonetheless retained by the people. Popular sovereignty, the belief that the power to govern flows upward from the people rather than downward from the rulers, is clearly amendment in, uh, is clearly evident in this amendment. 
And then the tenth reminder that the people and states retain every authority that is not otherwise mentioned. That assurance of a system of government which is power is divided among local, state, and national entities has long since been rendered moot by the centralized Washington, D.C. And this was the big, the big fight about a federal government in the beginning. Do we centralize or do we leave it to the states and we remain largely decentralized? That was something that our founding fathers wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with. A true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make difficult, tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not need to set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. And that Douglas MacArthur that man helped us get through World War II. So where we find ourselves is another revolution. We have these mobs, yeah, and they're, they're permitted to be there. there there's, there's very little pushback against them. There are some states where they fought and, and others where they just, they've just backed off and, and let them run as almost if they've had permission from a higher authority. So I guess that what's really happening, and this slide may be backward, is the spring of, uh, of, of 1692, uh, Giles Corey was 80 years old when his wife was accused of witchcraft. The entire town was in such a frenzy that even Giles started to believe that his wife might be a witch. Soon after, another person in the town was accused of witchcraft, and then another and another. So what we ended up with was the Puritan preachers, and we had a consciousness between the Puritans and the Quakers. And they could run around and point at people and point at people and guilty, 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 uh, and, and of what? And without any trial without any presentation of evidence. It was just an accusation. And then we go back to the press and their ability to smear their, what they feel is a given right to smear. And this I have trouble with. So what they felt in this Puritan preachers was that it was their duty to protect this townsfolk from system, from systemic witchcraft that was so pervasive in Salem. So everybody who was accused of witchcraft was quickly punished. That include Charles Corey, who at the age of 81 was tortured for three days in September of 1692 in an attempt to extract the plea. Had he been excused... Therefore, he must be guilty. And Corey was laid in a field with boards placed atop him and large rocks piled on top of the boards to slowly crush him to death. Rumor has it the only words he spoke during the torture was more weight. And then this, yeah, it, it, so what we have is this, we have these mobs that are now ruling. It's the cancel culture we talked about on a show a little while back, the cancel culture. And one cannot condone nor condemn these moments, the, these movements, and then remain safe. You can't come out and say, no, you guys are wrong. You can't encounter these mobs and remain safe because you either are with them or you're against them. So there's no rationalizing. There's no reasoning. It's just you're with them or you stay out of the way. And even then they try to bring you in with this mantra of silence is violence. And that's no choice. And there's no truth in that either. And yet uh, time will always be the judge of one's choices as we stand back and and this looks ridiculous today, the Salem Witch Trials. It looks absolutely ridiculous as we've matured in our sanity and our ability to ration and reason. But uh, those were the days of the Puritans, and we're kind of there once again. Their religion was wokeness, and they too saw witches everywhere. What's incredible is that these Puritans were witch hunters were really just a small percentage of the population. And most people were completely sane and normal, but that tiny group, that tiny group 
happened to be the loudest. And because of that, they've completely upended everything from culture to business, uh, politics, and even science. They'll tell us words that we cannot use and cannot see or, or use. Some of these largest corporations in the world have already bent the knee, canceling movies, music, even food, because it offends the mob. Disney canceled the song, zippity doo I remember that as a kid, because it's offensive. What? If they graciously thank the Communist, uh, Communist, Chinese, Chinese Communist Party in their recent release of Mulan. And the same doctors and same public health officials who tell us that we have to wear a mask tell us that it's okay not to wear a mask while rioting. So there's... There's some interesting going on here. Wokeness is such a bizarre logic because, you know, it never stops. You never know what topic they're going to kind of jump into next. This morning, I even saw an article lamenting the lack of diversity in the wine industry and another claiming that the national parks aren't welcoming enough to certain minorities. And now even two plus two equals four is a controversial statement to some mathematics educators who find the expression grounded in imperialistic, heteronormative, toxic masculinity. So there was a time when they gagged the witches. They gagged those. And in some way, Twitter is doing the same thing, whether it's it's truthful, whether the, the statements were and, and not. But if the finger gets pointed, boom, at you, then watch out, run for cover. So it's not enough to simply bow out and, and avoid their intolerance. That makes you a target. You have to denounce family members, grovel to the Twitter mod, raise a fist in solidarity, participate in the chants and rituals. Otherwise, you put you and your family at risk. And they'll come for your job, your business, your dignity. How many professors have we seen who dared question on these campuses what was going on? And they're, despite tenure, they're gone. Doesn't reflect on their ability to work. They just had a difference of opinion. And if you have that difference of opinion, then you're out. So clearly, this isn't the first time in history that a small number of crazy people end up causing havoc and devastation to an entire society. Now, I still believe that even in the midst of such mindless chaos, the world is abundant with opportunity. I've just felt that it's best to tackle those opportunities and face the obvious risks from a position of strength. This is the core idea behind having a plan B to put yourself in a position of strength, regardless of whatever happens or doesn't happen next. And that's something that we've talked about on, on several of our shows is, you know, the plan B. What do you do when we're dealing with financial issues? And we've talked about uh, cryptocurrencies and, uh, and, and just physical money so that if you need to run, you can run. So those who can make you believe absurdities can then make you commit atrocities. That from Voltaire. Interesting, right? Because... You know, there was a time when it was just known that the planet was flat. Everybody just knew it. But that didn't make it true. And that's what's happening today is we know things, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're true. So we're, we're in this battle where we have this little march of tyranny that's happening. It's just kind of rolling across the planet and in so many nations simultaneously. And that's why I brought up that image of the of the, the G20 leaders. They're all a part of this top part of the pyramid. And then the media does their thing. They tell the story and they'll tell the same story tomorrow and yesterday and the day in the, in the, in the future over and over and over. And after 20, 40, 60 days of hearing the same thing, you begin to assimilate. China's been very good at that at their re-education camps. But have they been really good? Even though they've got the forced labor thing going on, but there's this indoctrination. 
But do you really and can you really change people? Do they want to change if it's not something that is within their core belief system? So this is kind of the ironic part. Oh, next time I'll vote Republican. Then uh, next time I'll vote Democrat. You, You know, the back and forth. But then there's this relentless march forward by that global elite. And interesting to see this uh, when this Ben Garrison drew this, and that was in August of 2010. So that's 10 plus years ago. And uh, I'm going to come back to Kennedy because that's essentially where we started. And he knew, he knew being in office for as long as he was in office, he understood that there was a certain maneuverability that the president had that he was like a a bowling ball and that there was gutters on either side. If you go into the gutter, you're out of the game. That he had to stay in the alley to where he could hit something. He could hit a strike. It'd be wonderful, but a pin or two down to accomplish what he had promised the people in the beginning. So he said, there's a plot in this country to enslave every man, woman, and child. And before I leave this high noble office, I intend to expose this plot. And then, of course, it was just seven days before his assassination because he was beginning to be somewhat more bold uh, about his actions. He was in the process of um, um, executive order. I don't know the number exactly, but I think it was it was five ones, one, 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 one. And that was the, to issue silver money as as currency and to pull the 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 fake federal dollars, you know, out of circulation and replace it with silver back currency. That was one of the things that he wanted to do that. Yeah, Glenda, I can't I honestly can't do it anymore either. It's tough. It's tough. And so this was uh, one of the big things with Kennedy and Obama for, you know, all he is or hope to be uh, the day after his election. I remember when um, he had a meeting in D.C., showed up, went from Chicago into D.C., and, and he had this uh, two to three o'clock meeting, I believe it was. It was one hour. And of course, there's press all over the place, all over the place. And the meeting was one hour. An hour 10 went by and he wasn't out. An hour 20 went by. And just before an hour and a half passed, he came out. And I could see on his face that it wasn't the same person that went in. He was visibly shaken, and it was like, okay, now you're president. This is our game. This is our office. You're the man that comes in and sits in the chair, and that's all. You will have a little bit of of leeway. We'll give you some social issues to play with. But when it comes to military, when it comes to money, when it comes to banking, when it comes to farming regulation, you have little to no say. We can propose some legislation. We can talk about it. We can fight about it. But nothing will change. Yes, Michelle, and that was on Kennedy's boat, wasn't it? Where we go one, we go all. And that is an interesting movement um, that is underway. And uh, part of me is, is excited to see that underway because it has given me an entirely different perspective on what is happening behind the scenes. The where, Yeah, that's an interesting Google for anybody, QAnon or where we go one, we go all. And so ultimately... What we come down to, and it's unfortunate because we have two choices, and you tell a, a, a Democrat that you're going to vote independent and they'll get mad at you for not voting on their side to help get him out of office. And it works both ways. So of the two evils, choose neither. And then your conscience can be clear. You know, it's not violence to remain outside of the game. It is a choice. We don't have to choose two sides. You can choose not to play their game. That is an option and something that I'm excited to see uh, us begin to play out. Because nonetheless, the revolution that Kennedy talked about 
in my opinion, is already here. Now I'm going to pop out of this guy. And uh, yeah, we've got three other shows. Uh, the Coffee Break Show, Monday through Friday, with Vicki Helm at 11 o'clock Mountain, and then Tracy does a show at this same time, 6 o'clock, on the two days opposite me. But I kind of want to talk about George Washington here, because he was our he was our first president, and he had a vision. And it's probably worth mentioning. It's in usahistory.org, Valley Forge, forward slash Washington slash vision.html hashtag. And it's worthy of, of a review. And he called against, against son of the public, son of the republic. And this woman tells him that this nation will be dealing with three crises, three major crises. Uh, one obviously was the Civil War. And uh, the third one I wanted to, I kind of wanted to get into, but that's really kind of where we are. Again, amid the fearful noise of the conflict, I heard the mysterious voice say, son of the Republic, look and learn. As the voice ceased, the shadowy angel for the last time dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it upon America. Instantly, the dark cloud rolled back together with the armies it had brought, leaving the inhabitants of the land victorious. And once more I beheld the, beheld the villages, towns, and cities springing up where I had seen them before. There was, While there was a bright angel painting an azure standard, he had brought in the midst of them and cried with a loud voice. While the stars remain and the heavens send dew, uh, down dew upon the earth, so long shall the union last. And taking from this his brow, the crown upon which the blazoned word union had been placed upon the standard while the people kneeling down said amen. So what we dealt with is another, another uh, essentially attack where the, the, uh, the unity of the world was brought against the country. And it doesn't go into the description of how it enveloped, how, you know, what kind of a war was fought. But nonetheless, there is plenty of prophecy out there right now to where this is very, you know, kind of curious. Uh, uh, Dana Coverstone is one of them. It has really got some very interesting, uh, very fresh, very recent, like within the last several weeks, uh, dreams, visions. And it plays into this, you know, hand in glove. All right. Uh, that's kind of where I am. Casey, good to see you on, on your way back. Uh, there, there's just a lot to talk about with this topic. Um, we're dealing with, uh, you know, with a, a fork in the road. And great changes are coming. I don't know whether we're ready for them. A lot of the supply chains are going to have issues. Food, if you're watching this, then undoubtedly you're, you're, you're leagues ahead of the rest of the world. Uh, even the rest of this, of this country, you're leagues ahead. And, and that bodes well because we've got, uh, we probably primarily have big, big, big food and power issues coming up. All right. Um, um, I'll hit this again on, on Wednesday. Uh, otherwise, tonight we'll watch Hurricane Sally make landfall in Florida and then begin to its slow progress inland. And then the other whole lot of, of, of tropical activity happening out in the Atlantic. That is definitely underway. All right, guys, I'll catch you uh, Wednesday at 6 o'clock Mountain for another, another perspective. And until then, have a great night and I'll catch you tomorrow. 